I were to approach you and ask you to share with me the gospel from the scriptures, where would you take me? My guess is that many of you would take me to Romans, right? Take me through the Romans road. Take me to Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, and you tell me about sin and how we've sinned and fallen short of God and how the payment for that sin is death. And then many of you would probably take me to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, where Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Some of you might also take me to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, and you might even take me to the Gospels and explain to me who Jesus is from the Gospels and and what he taught about himself and revealed about himself and the work that he accomplished at the cross. But let me ask you this. How many of you would take me to the Old Testament? Anybody? few of you, okay. How many of you would would share God's gospel with me from Genesis or from the Psalms or from Isaiah? Maybe a few of you, right? But let me ask you this. How many of you who would take me to the Old Testament would take me to the minor prophets section of scripture to share God's gospel with me? Anybody? Well, let's let's assume that some of you would, okay? Let's say you had to use one of the 12 books from the Minor Prophets to share God's gospel message with me. Tell me how many of you of those 12 books would take me to the book of Micah? Anybody? That's what I thought. Well, guess what? That's where we're going to be this morning. That's what we're going to do. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Micah. For those of y'all uncertain with where the book is found, you've got a number of different ways you can get there. Uh, One way is by turning to the table of contents. Don't be too proud to do that, all right? And that'll take you to where Micah is. Or you can turn to the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, and just start flipping backwards, okay? Until you get to Micah. Or if you can find Jonah and Nahum, the book of Micah is sandwiched between those Two massive books there, okay? Now, however you get there, get there. And as you're turning there, let me say this. I've probably shared this with a few of you in here before, but a little background about myself. Uh, Though I grew up in the church, I was not saved. I did not make Christ the Lord of my life until I was a senior in college. And after that, everything changed for me. And I knew that God was leading me into ministry. I knew that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so after graduating college, I started seminary. And again, though I grew up in the church, there was a lot I didn't know. I knew that uh, uh, one could learn about Christ's life and death and, and resurrection, about the salvation he provides in the New Testament. But uh, I, I knew very little about the the Old Testament and the purpose that it served. When I first read through the the Old Testament, it was tough for me to know exactly what was going on, much less to detect continuity between the Old and the New Testaments. 
first I didn't know how those two sections of Scripture fit together, how they were related. It was not until I began to take classes in seminary like Old and New Testament survey and biblical theology in classes with Dr. Easley, who you remember were, was here with us in, in February, and I read his books and read others by those professors and sat in those lectures that I began to see that though God's gospel message is clearly seen in the New Testament, get this folks, it's nothing new. It's not a message that started at Christ's earthly ministry, but it starts at the very beginning of the Bible. It's a message that goes all the way back to the first book of the Bible, and it's a message that we see all throughout the Scriptures. Though at times it's a bit easier to see God's gospel message in the New Testament, though often God's gospel is in the Old Testament concealed and in the New Testament revealed, though that's the case, I I came to realize during my time in seminary and as a result of further studying God's Word, I began to see that all of Scripture points to Christ and to God's gospel. Seminary, I learned how to read the Bible with New Testament eyes. I learned that all of Scripture is Christ-centered. That God's gospel is seen all throughout the Word of God. That's what we're going to see here this morning as we continue with our study through the Minor Prophets study here and as we look at the book of Micah this morning. Now, before we get into this book, let me take a moment to share with you a little background on the book. I think this will really help you this morning as we study through this book. Micah is quite a bit different from the book we looked at last week. Remember we said that Jonah is a unique book in this minor prophet section of scripture because it's a narrative. It doesn't contain very much prophecy. It contains some, but it, 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 it's less preachy. It tells a story. Well, guess what? Micah is the exact opposite of Jonah. It contains zero narrative and is extremely preachy. This book is a collection of prophecies, a collection of sermons by this prophet. And what we're going to do this morning is we are going to look at some of the major themes from these sermons from Micah. And and what you're going to find is that, that in these sermons, Micah's message is as Christ-centered and as gospel-saturated a message as any you're going to find in the Old Testament. Don't believe me? Notice some key points here from this book. Notice point number one. The first key theme we see right off the bat from this book is that God is a holy judge who is set against sin. That's a main point in the book of Micah. God is a holy judge who is set against sin. Look at Micah chapter 1 verse 2. Micah says, Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord, from his holy temple. Now, 
As we've said many times already in this study, these books, these minor prophet books were written during the divided kingdom period. The kingdom of Israel had been divided in two, into northern and southern kingdoms. Ten of the twelve tribes left and went up north to settle in Samaria, and they formed the northern kingdom of Israel, and two of the twelve tribes remained in the south in Jerusalem and formed the southern kingdom of Judah. And these prophets are writing, in this minor prophet section of Scripture, they're writing during this time. And uh, we've learned that many of the minor prophets were sent to one of these two kingdoms, right? Some were sent to prophesy against the northern kingdom of Israel. Some were sent to the southern kingdom of Judah. And there were some who were called to prophesy to other nations. Obadiah, a few weeks ago, prophesied against Edom. We talked about Jonah last week, was sent to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, to prophesy there. But Micah is very unique from all of these in that He was not sent to a foreign land, but his ministry was unique in that he was called to preach to both the northern and the southern kingdoms. And look at what he says in verse 1. Look at where we see this. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Notice he mentions Samaria and Jerusalem. Both the northern and southern kingdoms are still intact at this time, and both kingdoms are are who Micah has in mind here, who his message is for. And what we learn when we study a little bit of the context here is that at this time, both kingdoms were doing pretty well. Remember when we talked about Amos? Amos prophesied during this prosperous time when these two nations were doing well as well. He was sent to prophesy as well, and Amos... His message is similar to Micah's here. Micah, like Amos, lets both kingdoms know that though things are going well for them politically and economically and militarily, spiritually, he says, you're in the tank. Spiritually, they were in shambles. Both kingdoms. And get this, a major point in Micah's message to them is that God's main concern is with the condition of our hearts and the state of things in our lives spiritually. And Micah tells them here, God is offended by sin. He's offended by your sin. God is a holy judge who is offended by and who hates, yes, he hates sin. Look at chapter 1, verse 2 again. Micah says, Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Now I want you to notice something very important here about Micah's message. Notice how Micah begins his message. He begins it with God. Folks, the gospel is centered on God. Do you know that? It's all about God. It begins with God, it's centered upon God, and it ends with God. Though the gospel includes us, though we play a vital role 
in God's gospel story. The gospel begins and ends with God. It is centered upon Him. It starts with Him as creator, does it not? And it tells us how He created all that is, us included, to live for Him and to worship Him. Then it tells us about how we rebelled against God and we ruined and wrecked God's perfect world by our sin and we ruined and wrecked our perfect relationship with the God who made us and we set ourselves against Him and and Scripture also tells us that in turn, God set Himself against us. But though that's the case, We also learn in Scripture that God has made a way for us to be brought back into a right relationship with Him so that we can live our lives for God. It's centered upon God. The gospel is not centered upon us. It's all about God. It begins with Him, it's centered upon Him, and it ends with Him. It ends with us doing what? Worshiping God. It's all about God. And that's how Micah begins here. He begins his book by focusing on the fact that God is a righteous and wrathful God who is set against his rebellious people, which leads us to our second point. The first point from Micah is that God is a holy judge who is offended by and who is set against sin. Second principle is this, we have sinned against God. So God is set against sin. We have sinned against God. Now in this book, Micah makes this point by talking about the sins of Israel. And here we learn there were three specific sins that the Jews were guilty of. Notice first they were guilty of false worship and idolatry. False worship and idolatry. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Notice here, Micah addresses the sins of Samaria and Jerusalem. Both kingdoms, once again. The whole nation is in view here. Micah is speaking against the evils in both the northern and the southern kingdoms. Now, what wrong had those in these kingdoms done? What what wrong had those in the northern kingdom done? Remember, one thing that they had done was they had completely abandoned the place where God said he was to be worshipped. We talked about that already, right? God had clearly said that he was to be worshipped in the south, in Jerusalem. But 10 of the 12 tribes left Jerusalem and they went up north. And when they went up there, they settled in Samaria and they, they established a new place of worship there they built a new temple that had not been authorized by god and some of you hear that and you think well what's the big deal you know i mean that's not such a big deal right so they built a separate place of worship at least they were setting aside a place and some time to worship god some of you may think that well here's the thing god is god and we're not right it's just a simple answer God is God and we're not. And he has clearly said in his word how he is to be worshipped. Not only that he is to be worshipped, but he's given us a blueprint in his word on how we're to approach him in worship. And in the Old Testament, he made it crystal clear that he was to be worshipped in the temple in Jerusalem. So 10 of the 12 tribes deliberately disobeyed this command of where God was to be worshipped. 
So the Jews were guilty of false worship by wanting to worship God on their own terms and in a place of their own choosing. And, And both kingdoms were also guilty of idolatry. And though Micah addresses the Jews in the north in chapter 1, verse 7, we learn elsewhere both were guilty of idolatry. Look at what he says to them in verse 7. He says, All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. This time, many of the Jews, especially the Jews up north, were guilty of what is called syncretism. And that's just a fancy 25-cent word that means the blending of beliefs. What, what syncretism is, is it's where you take one belief and you take another belief and you put it together and you form another system of belief. Many Jews were guilty at this time of blending the worship of the one true God of the scriptures with pagan beliefs and in practices. At this time, many of the Jews viewed worship of the one true God of the Bible kind of like a catch-all. They included him in the mix with other gods and and other sacrifices because they wanted to make sure that they had their bases covered so that things would go their way. They They were treating the one true God of the scriptures like another one of their idols. Someone they could kind of throw into the mix and manipulate so that they could make sure that things would go their way. But what we learn from Micah here, as well as other writers all throughout Scripture, and what we learn from God in His Word is that worship of Him is not to be mixed, it's not to be intermingled with any other system of belief. Period. You know, there are certain things that go well together, right? Mint and chocolate. How many of y'all like mint and chocolate? Anybody? Love mint chocolate chip ice cream. Love it. What about chocolate and peanut butter? Who doesn't love Reese's peanut butter cups? There's something wrong with you, right, if you don't. (laughs) Peanut butter and jelly on a sandwich. Yeah, you can tell I got peanut butter and chocolate on the brain this morning. But there are certain things that I've heard that have been mixed together that should never be mixed together. One is uh, water and cereal. Have you ever heard anybody doing that? Yeah. I mean, if you're out of milk, just eat it dry. That's a better better option for you, right? Another is, and, and I know it was, it was true this morning. I was proven true. Somebody does this, Andy Davis. French fries with mayonnaise. I mean, that should just never be done, you know? I, I could go off. I could, I could preach a whole sermon against mayonnaise. But, uh, I mean, that should just never be done, right? And God makes it clear here that there's something else that should never be done. Something that should never go together and be blended together is worship of him along with other foreign and pagan and false gods. Jews were guilty of this. They were guilty of idolatry. They were guilty of false worship. There's another sin that the Jews in both the north and the south were guilty of as well that Micah calls them out on. They were guilty of social injustice. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. 
Micah says, Woe to these who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. In this day, we're going we're gonna, to uh, talk about this a little later in, in some of our other books as well. But in this day, there is a major distinction between the upper class and the lower class. There were haves and there were have-nots. And at times, not all the time, but at times in these sort of societies, and what was happening in Micah's day is that you had both the haves in the north and the haves in the south. They were exploiting the poor and the weak. Notice Micah says that they devise wickedness and they work evil on their beds, from their beds. He says these evil and oppressive acts that you're doing, they're premeditated. He says that the strong and the prosperous in these societies, they spend their evenings on their beds thinking of ways that they can exploit and oppress the weak and the poor. So they were guilty of social injustices. They were also guilty of deceitful instruction. Receiving deceitful instruction. Though Micah was a true prophet of God, called by God to prophesy against those in the north and in the south, his message went counter to many of the prophets and many of the religious leaders in that day. And unfortunately, Micah's message was not being received like theirs was which shouldn't surprise us, right? It's a problem we run up against today. And look at what the religious leaders were saying in Micah's day. Look at Micah 2.6. They were telling Micah, do not preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace shall not overtake us. So get this. Both kingdoms, though economically and militarily and politically powerful and prosperous, were spiritually in shambles, spiritually bankrupt. They they were guilty of false worship and idolatry, and the rich and the powerful were exploiting the poor and the weak, and the religious leaders of their, their day, when they're confronted with these evils, were saying, no big deal. No big deal. No need to preach against these things. Disgrace shall not overtake us. Everything's gonna be just fine. Everything's going to be okay. Look at Micah 3, 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Folks, these were prophet-seeking prophets. P-R-O-F-I-T. Prophet-seeking prophets. They were fine with preaching peace and prosperity as long as people were willing to pay for it. As long as their pockets were being filled and their stomachs were full. They knew that's the message people wanted to hear and as long as they were willing to pay for it, that's the message they would give. You know, I've told people in the past, you can make a lot of money in ministry if you're good at telling people what they want to hear. It's true. A lot of folks are doing it. The problem is, here's the problem. 
God doesn't normally do this in his word. Oftentimes, his word offends us. And you know why? Because our ways are counter to his. Simple as that. So if you're committed to teaching what God's word says, you better be ready for some enemies because his word upsets many. Case in point here is Micah. He had a message for Israel and Judah. And it was a message of judgment and it was not what they wanted to hear, though it was the truth. See, again, at this time, things were good. For them, politically and and financially and militarily, they thought, you know, we're good. God is blessing us. But Micah says, no, 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 no. You are deceived. Things are not good for you. Though things are going the way you want them to go physically and financially, look at the state of things in your life morally and spiritually. Spiritually, your life is in shambles. But they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear it. Instead, they embrace this false teaching from their false prophets that said everything is great. You can live however you want to live, and you're going to be just fine. Folks, that message is being preached today. It is. There are preachers today who are loved by the world because their message is not a message of truth. The truth about sin. The truth about judgment, the truth about wrath, punishment. Their their message, like the message of these false prophets here, is what the world wants to hear. It's a message that says God's not all that concerned about sin. He loves you just the way you are, and there's nothing that needs to be changed by you and in you spiritually. I listened to an interview that, that Oprah did recently with Rob Bell, the former pastor at Mars Hill Church in Chicago. And she asked him this question straight up. What does the world need most? Well, that's a great opportunity, isn't it? Millions of viewers. You know what his message was? What the world needs most is to wake up. Okay. Is he going to tell us something? It says the world needs to wake up and know we're going to be just fine. We're going to be just fine. Not that we're sinners in need of a Savior, but that we're going to be just fine. That is not the message of the Scriptures. Israel embraced this message, and you know what happened? They fell. They fell. That is not Micah's message. It's not. But many of us, like the Israelites in his day, we're not willing to, to hear the truth because it's hard. We like people to tell us we're going to be just fine. No worries. That's what we want. That was the great sin of Israel in Micah's day. On top of being idolatrous and worshiping God in a false way, and on top of these social injustices taking place, they were receiving and embracing deceitful instruction from false teachers. And again, like we've been saying, if you look at our society today, they're, they're, those are our sins, right? We're guilty of these things. We've sinned against God. We have set ourselves against him. And here's the thing, folks, because God is set against sin and because we've sinned against God, point number three, God is rightfully set against us. God is set against sin, 
We have set ourselves against God. Therefore, God is set against us. And this is the major issue in God's gospel story. This is the major issue for us today. And this is the major issue in Micah's day. Look at Micah 5.15. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Look at Micah 6.1. Hear what the word of the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. They're in deep trouble, aren't they? In verse 15 of Micah 5, we're told that that the Lord is going to execute vengeance on the nations that do not obey him. Judah and Samaria are included in this. God calls for them to plead their case, and then he says that he will bring this indictment. He will bring his charges against Israel, he says, he will contend with, he will bring his judgment or charge against them. And folks, this is a message that we see over and over again in Scripture. Scripture is clear that God is set against those who are set against and who have sinned against him. And notice I say in this point, God is rightfully set against us. Do you realize that? He is right in being set against us in our sin. Like it or not, folks, we are guilty before God. God has created us to live in relationship with him. He has created us to worship him, and we have rebelled against him. We have turned away from him, and he is just and right to be set against us. We have failed to do what we were created to do. We have rebelled against the holy God, and God is right to be set against us. Listen, folks, one day we're going to understand this. We are. We're going to see God more for who he truly is. That veil is going to truly be lifted. We're going to see him in all his glory and all his majesty. And then and only then will we truly understand how terrible our rebellion was toward him. We're going to understand it one day. We're going to truly see how horrible an offense it is to turn away from a glorious and majestic God who made us and made us to live in a relationship with him. We're going to understand that one day. And folks, though this message angers some, this is a message we must teach. Because if we don't, people will never truly understand the next aspect of God's gospel, which we also see in Micah's book. We learn that God is a holy judge who is set against sin. We've also learned that we have sinned against God. Therefore, God is rightfully set against us. Yet, though that's the case, notice the fourth and final point is this. God graciously extends his hand of mercy despite our sin. Though God is right and just to be set against us, though we deserve God's wrath and punishment because of our sin, God is also a God of mercy and he's a God of grace and has chosen to withhold his wrath and extend his hand of mercy to us. Now that's great news, isn't it? Isn't that great news? 
Don't you see why understanding the bad news is what makes this news so great? Listen, we live in a world today where messages about God's wrath and judgment are not all that popular, especially in churches. In Christian circles, it's not that popular. But listen, if we don't focus on God's great wrath and judgment, we will never truly understand his amazing grace. Micah emphasizes both. Look at Micah chapter 4, verse 6. He says, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted, and the lame I will make the remnant, and those who were cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Now, throughout this book, Micah has made it known that God's judgment is coming. God is going to level these two nations, Samaria and Jerusalem. And history tells us that that's exactly what happened. Those two kingdoms do fall. They do, in fact, get leveled. So everything that Micah says will happen, happens. But in the midst of this message of God's wrath and judgment, you also have a message of God's mercy and his grace and restoration. Micah says, though God is going to level these nations, there is coming a day when he is going to restore his people. And how is he going to do it? How's he going to restore his people? Turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Bill read it this morning. This is great right here, folks. Who is the hope of Israel? Verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Let me read verse 4 as well. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. Who's Micah talking about here, folks? Just say it. Jesus. He's prophesying here about the coming of Christ. We know that to be the case because Matthew later quotes this verse. Matthew 2, 6, he quotes Micah 5. And he says that this one who has come from Bethlehem is the Lord Jesus. Notice Micah says here, his coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Little did Micah know that his coming forth, Jesus' origins were very old. He has no beginning. He is, he's prophesying about the coming of the eternal Son of God. We talked earlier about the importance of finding the continuity between the Old and the New Testament. Here we see it, right, folks? Right here, crystal clear. The hope of salvation for those in the Old Testament. The hope of salvation for those in the New Testament. The hope of salvation for all of us today is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It's always going to be Jesus. He is the hope. For everyone. 
The way people were saved in the Old Testament is by trusting in the future promises of God and by trusting in a Messiah to come. That's what Paul says in in Romans chapter 4. He says that Abraham was considered righteous by God before he did anything. He was righteous by faith alone and so are we. Abraham was trusting in the future promises of God and believing in a Messiah to come. And today we're made right with God by believing in the promises that God has fulfilled and the work that he has accomplished through his son and by believing in a Messiah who has come. So here's what we've learned from Micah today. We've learned that God is a holy God who is offended by sin. And we have learned that we have sinned against God, therefore God is set against us. Yet, though that's the case, God is also a God of great mercy and grace and a God who graciously extends his hand of mercy to us despite our sin. That's the message of Micah. Look at the end of the book. Micah chapter 7, verses 18, 19. And keep in mind those people who say that the, that the God of the Old Testament is completely different from the God of the New Testament and that the message of the prophets is only doom and gloom. Keep that in mind when you read this, okay? Listen to this and see if this verse doesn't just throw that on its head. Look at Micah 7, 18, 19. This is good. Micah says, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Wow. Now let me ask you, how is God able to do this? How is a holy and righteous and just God able to pardon sinners like you and me? How is he able to pass over our sin? How is he able to have compassion on us? How is he able to tread our sin underfoot? How is he able to cast all of our sin into the depth of the sea? How is a holy and just God able to forgive sin and remain just? Exactly right. Thanks, Ken. Stealing my points, man. It's good. That's right. Ken's right. Jesus. The answer is found in Micah 5, 2. Again, it's found in Jesus. Though God is a, a just God who is rightfully set against us because of our sin, because we've rebelled against him. God is also a God of great love and mercy and grace. And in his great mercy and grace, he has sent us his son to live on behalf of us, to live the life we could never live. At the cross, God places our sins upon his son and the punishment we deserve, he pours that out on his son in our place. God sent his son, the second person of the Trinity, for us to live for us. Christ lived the life we could never live. He died as our substitute and perfect sacrifice. He laid down his life for ours and took on God's punishment for us so that we through him could be forgiven. So that God's wrath could be satisfied on his son and so that we could be declared righteous. That's the great exchange is what that's called. 
Paul said it like this, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture. If you're here today, you've yet to receive this wonderful gift of salvation that God has given through the person and work of Jesus. I pray you would not leave here today without doing so, without turning from your sin and making Christ your Lord so that you too can enter into a right relationship with the one true God. Let's pray.